It's so good to see each of you this morning. And Matt, wow, what music, was that not awesome? Hey, just, just so you can remember, you know, some people think, let's get the music over so we can get to the message, but let me just remind you, that last song I could preach for an hour and a half on two words. The first word would be amen. When Paul uses the word amen, when he closes out books and major themes and chapters, when he says amen that, that me, amen, that means let it forever be and don't ever think about changing it. That's the way he means. Number two, we learn in that song that holiness is his name. Holiness is a person. His name is Jesus. And if he's loved me into a position of holiness, it would make sense that I would live my life there, wouldn't it? So that's just for free. That's not my passage, but go to Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1. I'm going to continue uh, a little bit in the series uh, that Brother John was talking about last week in generosity. What does it mean to be generous? So I'm going to talk to you this morning about the generosity of gratitude. If you think about the Apostle Paul, he is our pattern for gratitude. Not only was uh, gratitude an act in his life, but it was an attitude in his life. And so as we kind of approach Thanksgiving and we look at being thankful, I want you to understand that Thanksgiving is not a day that we celebrate. Thanksgiving is a life that we live surrendered to God in thanks for all that he has done for us. It's not what we've done, it's what he's done. So Paul's pattern of thankfulness is in most of the books that he has written, except for the Galatians, he didn't thank God for them. He corrected them pretty quick. Oh, you foolish people. And then in Corinth, he was, that church was so upside down, he was constantly correcting error. But in uh, Ephesians, in Colossians, in Philippians, and Thessalonians, he thanked God for the people at those churches. So he's going to talk about thankfulness. So I want us to build on that theme today as those of us that are followers of Jesus, that we would have thankful hearts, that we would live our lives on purpose and in praise to Him, no matter if we're in a pit today, we can still praise Him. And so that's what's important to understand, and Paul is going to give us a pattern of praise. He's going to talk about the expression of thanksgiving without the frequency, and you'll understand that in just a moment. So let me read the text to you. Philippians chapter 1, you can dial it up, you can flip it up, you can turn the pages. There's a lot of ways to get God's Word today on your phone or your iPad. But Philippians chapter 1, the generosity of gratitude, starting in verse 3. I'll set up the context in a minute. Here's what Paul says. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, making requests for all of you with joy... For your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this very thing that he, this is God's work, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Just as it is right for me to think this of you all, because I have you in my heart, inasmuch as both in my chains and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you are all partakers with me of grace. That's Paul's pattern 
for thankfulness. That's the generosity of gratitude for Paul. He's going to talk about in this context, he just gave the greeting, and he says here, grace to you and peace. And that's his common greeting in the world. And so grace would be, in, in the Greek world, would be that term where people that would walk in the Greek world would use the word grace, and they would use it like we would say, have a good day. That's how much they would use the word, you know, the Greek greeting. However, what God says is not have a good day. God says by the word grace through Paul here that have a good eternity. Have a good eternity. For what Jesus Christ has done for you, that you are not saved because of the deeds that you have done. You are saved because of what Jesus Christ has already done for you. It's not your good deeds that get you into heaven. It's what Jesus has already done on the cross. That he, was, he died, he was buried, and he was raised on the third day. So therefore, Paul says, grace to you. Grace to you. So I would say to you, ha have a graceful day, and I would connect that to the blood of Jesus Christ. They would say have a good day, but not connect it to anything. But as followers of Jesus who are thankful, who understand the pattern of Paul and his expression of frequency here, grace to you and peace. Now watch this. Because we have experienced God's grace, as Bill Cole just said, you can rest at night with God's peace because of what Jesus Christ has done. See, peace is not the absence of strife. Peace is a deep-seated victory that Christ has given you in your heart that allows you to be at peace in your heart. And because we are understanding that grace comes from Jesus, then peace is an outflow of that. If you've experienced God's peace, you must first experience God's grace. That's the twin towers of God's love that Paul starts to talk about the context of thankfulness. Now watch what he does here. Grace to you in peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So that, that's the source, from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. You might say, well, is Paul a Trinitarian? Does he believe in the Holy Spirit? He sure does, because in verse 1, he said the Holy Spirit's already over there in Philippi. He's already over there in Philippi. So you got God the Father, God the Son, the Holy Spirit's already working. And then Paul comes to the generosity of gratitude here. Notice what the text says, verse 3. Here we go. I thank my God, upon every remembrance of you. Paul lived with a, not only an act of generosity and gratitude, but an attitude of generosity. That's what he lived with. So when you think about an attitude of generosity, of, of having a gratitude in your heart for all that God has done, when, when he thought about these people in Philippi, he, he says, I thank my God the relationship, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. So he's talking about expression here. If you look at the text, he's talking about expression without frequency. It doesn't say that he, he thanked God every hour for them. It doesn't say that he thanked God for every 30 seconds for them. It doesn't say every day. Uh, but it says upon every remembrance of you, okay? So that's when I thank God. So the important point here is that he had an attitude of gratefulness. In other words, every time that God brings me to your mind, I thank, every time God brings you to my mind, I thank God for you. I thank God for you. Think about that. Are we really grateful people? 
Do we really think and have that particular remembrance of people? Can you think of people who've invested in your life? Can you think right now of people who have invested in you, who have initiated contact in your life, who have spiritually been a part of your mentorship and you being who you are today? Does God sometimes bring to remembrance those people? And not only do you think of them, but when you think of them, watch this, this is what the text says, then you thank God and you thank God for them. Man, there's a whole lot of people in my life that I thank God for. And oftentimes when I'm walking, when I'm doing something, when I'm not even thinking about that person, there's a particular remembrance that comes up, and then I immediately go to God, and I say, God, I thank you for them in my life. I thank God. Here's what Paul says. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. Now, he's going to talk about we're in the context of a partnership in the gospel. We're in a context of relationships. Paul, if you remember, Paul is in prison. I want to remind you of this. So here is a man who's in prison, and he's thanking God for the people who are outside of the prison walls, and God's doing a work in his life in the prison, and God's doing a work in Philippi outside the prison. Watch this. When Christ lives in you, there are no bars that can separate you from his presence and his power. You see, not all prisons have bars. You can be in a prison today of your own making, of bitterness and disappointment and pain, where you put yourself in a prison, but I'm telling you, that's not where God wants you. You are free in Christ. Paul was chained to a Roman guard, yet Christ was his life. So only in the midst of a prison when Christ is your life can you look up and thank God for the people that you're writing the letter to. Is that not amazing? So there's no excuse for us, right? There's no excuse for us not to be thankful people. Christians ought to be the most thankful people in the world. And those of us who live in America ought to be the most thankful people in the world because we have a God who's not only on the throne, but we have people who are fighting for our freedom right now as we worship freely this morning. So we can be thankful, right? We can be a thankful people. So Paul says, I want you to see it in the text. I'm not making this up. I thank my God. I want to have more of a thankful heart. I'm selfish. (laughs) I'm an only child, just like Brother John. (laughs) And we get selfish. I want to thank you for your prayers, for my family. I do. You have prayed for us. You have encouraged us. We're going through waters we've never been through in our life. And sometimes I know in my head I need to be thankful, but my heart is very, very sorrowful and very, very pained and very, very scarred in some ways. But I still know that I can squeeze out thankfulness to God for all that He's done in my life. And and listen, I'm just telling you, sometimes I don't feel like it, but I'm telling you, you don't have to feel grateful in order to be grateful. You can be grateful because of all that God has done through Jesus Christ. I think about the attitude of gratitude that Paul starts this letter out, and I'm drawn back to the time when I used to fly. Uh, I, I don't like to fly anymore, but I used to fly in a Cessna 150, and I wasn't the pilot, but my uncle was. And we would fly over the wheat fields of Kansas. And as we would fly over the wheat fields of Kansas, 
he had this little steering wheel, and there was one on my side too. He said, you want to fly the plane? I said, oh, sure. That's no problem. But I noticed that he was checking all the instruments on the panel, and he no- I noticed he was looking at one instrument more than others, and I asked him, what, what is that? And he said, it's an attitude indicator. I said, you're kidding me. He said, no. And I said, what does that mean? He said, it's the position of the plane in relationship to the horizon. I said, give me more. He said, when you have a nose high attitude, and he pulled in like that, and we went up. He said, that's when the plane is going up. Then we can have a nose down attitude and go like that. I don't like that one. You keep that thing steady. And so then I thought in my mind, I thought this later because I was a teenager, I thought this in my mind later, that, we, that, that the attitude of the plane determines its performance. And so for those of us that are Christians, the attitude that we portray to the world, the expression of it, the remembrance of it, dictates in a way our performance because when you have a thankful heart, then, then, then your big toe doesn't hurt as much as somebody else's because you're not complaining and you're not whining. And Paul says that, that I want you to understand that I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. Now that, doesn't mean, that means every particular remembrance when God brings that person to your mind, but it doesn't mean that you remember everything. It means this, because God gives us the ability for divine forgetfulness. And what that means is there's some brothers and sisters in the body of Christ that we just need to forget sometimes because of what they did to us, right? So it means the particular remembrance that God brings in our life upon which he does his work. So it's expression or pattern without frequency. Now notice what the text says in verse 4. Always, Paul says, in every prayer of mine, making requests for all of you with joy. Now, this is important. So he's talking about in prayer, always in every prayer. Now, this is important to understand. Prayer begins with God and not man. You may want to write that down. Prayer doesn't begin uh, horizontally. It begins vertically. It's a relationship with God. This word for prayer means to vow towards. It means that God initiates prayer in our life. Uh, so, so when you have a prayer list, it's not something that you manufactured or something you came up with. Uh, it's something that God burdened you to pray for, but you always have to remember that prayer begins with God and not with man. And that's important to understand. So he says, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer, that prayer that God initiated in your life, for my, of, of mine making requests for all of you with joy. The second word here, making request, means because, because God has initiated prayer in my life, and because now that I have received from Him what, what I am supposed to do, then I turn around and I respond and I make requests, the text says, making requests for all of you. So that's how I began to pray for people in situations, because God burdens and he, he, we receive it from Him, we respond to Him, we turn around and we give praise to him for the fact that he's God and he loves us and we're in a love relationship with him. And so he says here, always in every prayer of mine, making requests for all of you, now don't miss this, with joy. With joy. Joy is a word that is different from happiness. Happiness depends on happenstance. It depends on what's happening around my life, what's happening to my life. But that's happen, yes. Happiness is changed the moment happenings change because happiness comes and go. 
but watch this. Paul says joy. The word for joy means to be fully joyful. It means to have a deep sense of peace and a settled spirit and soul because grace and peace has been given to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And when God gives you joy, then that joy can't be taken away. Here's how I know. A lot of people say, well, the devil took my joy. Let me tell you something. The devil can't take my joy. The devil didn't give me joy. The devil can't take what God gave me. God deposited joy in my life because of who he is, not because of who I am. And so I can live in the fullness and being a state of being fully joyful, not because of my circumstance, but because who lives in me, right? That's what Paul's saying. He's saying that when I pray, you know what I do? I pray with joy. I pray with joy. Now listen, the book of Philippians is a book that the word joy appears about 19 times, give or take. And people would say, well, that's the theme of the book of Philippians. I joyfully disagree with that. I'll tell you why. Because there's another word that appears more than the word joy. And when you're looking for the theme of the book, you look for the words that are repeated more than often. And so the word Lord, Jesus, or Christ is repeated over 40 times. So here's what I know. Joy is not the destination. Jesus is the destination. Jesus is the one who produces joy and the byproduct of me coming into a love relationship with him. When I choose joy, I have chosen him. And when I choose him, the byproduct is I can live in a state of joyfulness even if I'm in a prison. Paul said, hey, God's squeezing out a message in me. In fact, you say, Paul, how could the people at Philippi were probably praying, God, get Paul out of jail. He can never be used while he's in jail. God, our prayer from Philippi is get Paul out of jail. And Paul said, stop praying that way. God's using me in jail. I'm chained to a Roman guard. They're chained to me for uh, eight-hour shifts. You tell me I can't squeeze the message of God's grace out? I've got a captive audience. They can't go anywhere, and neither can I. So let me tell you something. Joy is what who lives in me. And Paul says, now when you pray, listen, when you pray, when you're thankful, when you're dependent upon God, you think about this. When you pray, you're praying with a heart full of joy. Even if you don't feel joyful, joy is not a feeling, it's a fact. It's a fact of living surrender to Him and walking in His grace and walking by faith. Here's why I think sometimes that we get confused on the word joy. Because we go to all these football games and baseball games and basketball games and we go, man, these people, man, they're joyful and, and, and they're loud. I mean, you, you look at our attendance when the Texans are playing and we have the 1115 service. You tell me people aren't joyful. You tell me they're not, they're not excited in the stadium. You tell me, you tell me you can't have fun in church. You mean you can't be joyful? Listen, if they can do it in a stadium, surely because Jesus died, rose again, and lives forever intercede on our behalf, surely we can make some noise in here like Bill said, right? Surely. But here's what happens. Here's what happens. We tie the joy that we see that the world has at a stadium or an event or a ball game, and we say it's got to be loud, it's got to be exuberant, it's got to be out there. And you know what? That's not true. Joy is deep-seated peace that God gives you. And you could be just as joyful when you're in a nursing home 
You can be just as joyful in any situation that you're in because joy doesn't change because Jesus doesn't change, but we can choose joy. And Paul says, I choose in this situation to come out with my hands up with joy. I choose in this situation to thank my God and come out with my hands up for the people in Philippi. And every time God reminds me of the people in Philippi, my hands go up in thanksgiving because I sense a personal relationship and this is a church that I cherish. Do you remember those old westerns when uh, the bad guys would get holed up and all the good guys would finally surround them? And here's what the good guys would say to the bad guys. Come out with your hands up. And they come out with their hands up. You know what Paul's saying? Come out with your hands up. In praise. In prayer. In response to all that Jesus Christ has done for you. Paul says, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you in every prayer, making requests for all of you, even the the mean saints and the clean saints. He said, all of you. I'm praying for all of you with joy. Listen, there's some people in the body of Christ. They're crazy, right? (laughs) You still got to love them too. It's amazing. Now watch what the text says. Be careful with my time here. Look what the text says. Now Paul says we're in a partnership. Here's the context and the flow of what he's saying here. For your fellowship, verse 5, for your fellowship in the gospel from this first day until now. For your fellowship. The word fellowship means partnership. Um, It means koinonia. It means we're together. We're family. Your fellowship. We participate with one another. Look at this in the gospel from the first day until now. So Paul in this letter is going to talk about how the church at Philippi was partners. First of all, they were partners in giving. They were partners in giving. I'm going to get you to flip to Philippians chapter 4. Same book, fourth chapter. I want to show you how when he's talking about fellowship here, he's talking about partnership in giving, first of all. Brother John talked last week about the attitude of generosity, uh, the generosity of gratitude in our lives. And so Paul says here, for your fellowship in the gospel, so he's thanking God for their partnership, their fellowship in the gospel. So, so when you think of a partnership, there's a giving and receiving, right? There, there, there's a, uh, it's, it's Christ in me, but it's also Christ in you. And so we have a partnership. There's a dual revelation. There's the indwelling of the Spirit. But we're family. We're partners. We're fellowship. We fellowship in the gospel. And one of the partners that we have in the gospel is the partner of giving. And Paul says in chapter 4, verse 14, Nevertheless, you have done well that you have shared, partnered with me, in my distress. Now you Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel... When I departed from Macedonia, no church shared with me concerning giving and receiving, but you only. For even in Thessalonica, you sent aid once and again for my necessities. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that abounds to your account. Indeed, I have all, I have all and abound all. I am full, having received from Epaphrodites the things sent from you, a sweet-smelling sweet aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. Now watch this. Do you see the partnership? You go back to verse 5 here for your partnership in the gospel. Paul was thankful. He was being mindful. When God brought to his mind the Philippians, he immediately thanked them for being partners in the gospel. So you think about that. You know, it, th- th- there's a partnership of giving and receiving. 
You know, when you have a partnership, it's not one side that gives. It's, it's, it's giving and receiving. It's a give and take, and that's what Paul's saying. He's saying, nobody else shared with me. Nobody financially helped me except you only. Now, think about this church. Think about this budget. Think about the missions that we do together as partners in the gospel. Think about 30% of our budget, if I remember this correctly, goes directly to missions. You think about that because we don't have any debt here. So you don't have a balloon note to have to pay, and we won't have a balloon note to have to pay, even with raising money for the student bill. That's not even on the table. You know that, don't you? We're not borrowing any money. So the idea is we're in a partnership, right, of giving and receiving. Be careful when you get into one-sided relationships. Be careful. Paul thanked God for their partnership in the gospel. You know, sometimes you need to downsize your contact list. I know I'm meddling, but that's just true. You know, think of the people that you always have to call. Think of the people that never initiate the call. You want to get your contact list down? You just start thinking of those people. Say, no, I'm taking them off. They never initiate. It's giving and receiving. It's a partnership in the gospel. Paul is saying, I am depositing into your life, and in turn, you're receiving that and responding back to me by giving to the Lord, and therefore it helps me in the ministry. So that's what Paul's saying. Go back to verse 5. He says, I thank God for your fellowship in the gospel. The gospel is the good news of Jesus Christ from the first day until now. So when you think about that partnership, you can think about your body. You can think about how your body works. We're, we're better together. Is that not right? We're better together more than we are as individuals. So we are partners in the gospel. We're together in this thing. It's not big eyes and little U's. It's all of us surrendered to Christ. It's all of us being thankful. It's all of us being prayerful. It's not about a pastor. It's not about anybody else. It is about Jesus Christ. And we partner together in that fellowship with Him. And when we partner together in that fellowship with him, God, by the Holy Spirit, energizes what we're doing, and the gospel is able to go forth. So it's an amazing thing here, and you can think about your body. Without my arm, my hand can't function. With, without my torso, where, where are my legs going to hang from? Think about that. Without, uh, if my heart is pumping blood, then, then I have to have arteries and veins. You see how it's all connected? If I get a little fluid in my ear, it affects the whole body. So we're not the bodies of Christ. We're the body of Christ. We are in partners, and, and we are partners together in the gospel. We fellowship in the gospel. And notice that it's in the gospel. It's not about a man. It's about the mission of Jesus Christ. Is that not right? It's about the person of Jesus Christ. The gospel is the good news of Jesus. And Paul says, we're going to rally around and partner in giving, and we're going to partner in the gospel. Now, notice the text. Verse 6, being confident, being confident of this very thing, what he just said. The word confident means to be persuaded. It means sure enough. That's what it means. Your mama may have said, sure enough, that's what she means. Be confident in this. I am confident that God's work will continue to go forward in this world and in this church. I am confident of this because I am confident in the partnership that I have in the gospel with you. And I am confident that, that, that God is going to do His work. Even in there, there may come a day in this world 
where we're going to have to go underground like they, they did in China to worship because we're going to be persecuted. That's fine, but we may have to go under the ground. But there will never be a day when God's work is not going forward no matter where we are. And so I'm confident in that. I can hold on to that. I am persuaded by that message that God can do whatever God wants to do. Now, how am I confident? It's not in me. Look what the text says. Because he, look at this, who has begun a good work in you, We'll complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Boy, there's three things there that are very important. First of all, this is God's work. Notice the text. He who began this work. You know who began this church 53 years ago? Some of you would say, yeah, Brother John. No, God did. God did. This is God's church. It's always been His church. And God has used Brother John wonderfully. That's amazing, amazing. A pastor for 53 years at the same place when the average stay is one point, one year and eight months? It's <laughs> a pretty good track record. But God began the work. This is God's work. That's why I'm confident because this is God's work. He said, he who has begun a good work. So salvation is God's work for you. That's what Jesus Christ has done to you. That's what Paul's saying. God began the good work. You didn't initiate the work. God initiate, what God initiates, He anoints. So God has initiated the work of salvation in our lives, and He has anointed that, and it's God's work. So it's a work for you. If you're here this morning and you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, God has done a work for you. How do I know? Because Jesus Christ, His Son, went to the cross and died for your sins. And He was buried, and He was raised on the third day. And if you will trust Him today, if you'll receive the free gift of life, and He will wash your sins away, He will make you brand new. God can begin a good work in you today and He began it because of what Jesus has already done. You can receive that gift today by grace through faith. You just have to receive it. And then you can say that's God's work. That's not my work. It's not your work. It's God's work. He who began a good work. Now watch this. It's not only a work for us in salvation. It's a work in us that God does. It's a work in us. Christ in us so this work of salvation, God's work is a good work because it's His work. And so it's a work that God does in you. So if you think about that, that's the most amazing thing that God does this work in you and in me. It's called sanctification. You know how long sanctification lasts? For the rest of your life. God is chipping away at the rough edges in my life and in your life. And He's doing a work in us. He is forming us into the image of His Son. You say, Freeman, this morning, it doesn't feel very good for me. It's just not good yet. Well, listen, if it's not good yet, I can tell you this, it's not over. It would be bad if it was over and not good. But if it's not good yet and you can't see the good yet in it, then you can be assured that God's not finished with you. Because when He's working in you and He's doing what only he can do, he says it's good. Why could it be good? How could what I am facing in my life be good? All I know is that God is good. So I have to go to the source of all goodness and grace and say God is good. So he's doing a work for us in salvation, but he's doing a work inside of us. Is that not right? Inside of us. It's Christ in us. It's not about giving an offering and uh, uh, singing a song, and, and those are all good things. If you do it because Christ lives in you and you're not doing it to try to get to heaven because you can't get to heaven by doing good stuff. You only get to heaven 
by being forgiven and letting God begin a good work in you. And then that work will last the rest of your life. This is, I don't know if this illustration will work with this crowd or not, but it's, it's just an older crowd, but some, some in here. Do you, do, do you know that distressed jeans are kind of in today? Do, do, do you know that, that when I was growing up, when we had holes in our jeans, that we had patches that, that our mamas put over those holes? Because we said that these jeans have had it, and we got to cover up the holes in the jeans so that nothing can be seen. And do you know that that, you would think, is we, we get rid of those jeans or we put patches on those jeans because that work of those jeans is finished. But do you know today it's just a different world? That, that distressed jeans is, are a sign of an elite status in, in our world today? And, and we have holes over here, and we got holes in the calves, and we got holes in the knees, and we got holes in places we, we should cover up today. Would you say amen to that? <clears throat> but here's what has happened. <clears throat> People today see value in the torn spots in their jeans. Think about that. And here's what I want to say to you. God sees value in the torn spots in our lives. You know, when your heart is torn, when it's ripped in a relationship, when your heart's been ripped from your, on your job, when, when something in your life has, has tried to tear the fabric away from your life, God says, I see value in those torn spots. I am working this good work in your life. And as I'm working this good work in your life, I see value, Freeman, in the torn spots of your life. Because even when you're torn and you're tattered and those things that don't look good, you can still give me praise. You can still say a hallelujah. Because I see value in the torn spots. And I'm going to continue to mold you and make you into the person that you need to be. Because not only did I begin this work, but when I began to work, I finished something. And I'm a finishing God. And I'm going to finish in your life. And whatever the value is that I need to see in the torn spots, I'll do it. I'll do it. So you might want to look at life, instead of life working against you, look at life working for you because of who's in charge of your life. Look at the text. He who began a good work in you. So salvation is a work for you. Sanctification is a work in you. And look at the last part of the text. We'll complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. He's a finisher. God's a finisher. He doesn't leave things half done, half baked, half cooked, and half warmed. He finishes what he starts. And if you'll trust Jesus as your Savior today, you can see this completing work and this finishing work that one day when the Lord Jesus Christ returns, we call that the rapture of the church, one day when He returns, we've, we've, we've been justified, that's in salvation, that's that work for us. We've been in the sanctification 
process. That's Christ working in us. But one day it'll be glorification and we'll be removed from the presence of sin. And we will be with Him forever who said, I will not drop the work that I do in you. I will complete that work in you. He says, this work that I began, it's good. It's good because it's not over because I'm not over and I'm still going to work in you. And I'm going to complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. We will be shaped and molded and formed into the image of Jesus till the day that we leave this earth. And that God that says He's coming back is coming back. He's coming back. Listen, you can take God's promises to the bank because I know His power in my life. I can relate and understand that it's Christ in me and His power. So it's a good work. It's a completing work. And then we'll close with verse 7. Here's what the text says. Just as it is right for me to think this of you. This is the affection He has. For you all, because I have you in my heart, inasmuch as both in my chains and defense and confirmation of the gospel, you are all partakers with me of grace. The defense here, he's talking about apologetics. Paul lived to give an answer in defense for his beliefs. That's his lifestyle. The word for confirmation means in order to ratify or defend, in order to confirm something. So Paul's whole life was defense and confirmation, but he closes this part out by saying, you are partakers of grace with me. So watch this. We are partners in giving, we are partners in the gospel, and we are partners in grace. It's God's grace. That's what partners us together. We share in the grace of God. We could have grace testimonies all day long in here, couldn't we? About what Jesus Christ has done in our lives. Now watch this. It's God's grace that brought me. It's God's grace that taught me. It's God's grace that has kept me. It's God's grace that will continue to move me forward. Grace is not the license to do as you please. It's the power to do as you should. And Paul says, we've all been partakers. We've partnered together in His grace. God's grace in your life. God's grace in my life. Think about that. Think about that as we move forward. Think about that as the mission of the church. That God's grace, undeserved favor. The favor of God is on me because Jesus Christ has given me grace. And anything short of hell is grace. It's grace. So watch this. We're partakers together of this grace. I know the children's building, I mean children's student building. I'm not losing it. And Brother John, the next two weeks, uh, we're going to have the family Lord's Supper next week, and then the week after he'll unveil that vision. $12 million, give or take on, on either side of that maybe, depending on inflation and things like that. But listen, nothing's too hard for God. We've been, we've been dipped into His grace. We've been dipped into His mercy. And so Paul says we're a partaker of grace. And I want to tell you this morning, if Christ lives in me, and He does because I bowed before Him and surrendered to Him, and Christ lives in you, then when we partner together in that dual revelation of Christ in us, it's 100% His power, and it's 100% my surrender to that power. And Paul says, I'm thankful, I'm grateful for being a partaker of grace with you. I learned this on a farm in Florida. We used to go out into the farm, and I'll close with this. We used to go out to this farm, and we would have a, uh, a fire pit. And there would be wood in the pit and fire going. <clears throat> and then there was a little poker that was laying aside. And I remember one time I put that poker 
in the fire just to get it warm. And I forgot that I had left that poker in that fire. And then I decided to take the poker. This is in a field that can burn. It can burn, it can burn, it can burn. And I took that poker out of that fire and I put that poker right next to me and I set it down and I continued to eat marshmallows and and, uh, chocolate and all that stuff and graham crackers. And I looked and there was a fire that was next to me. And it was starting to spread. And here's the reason it spread. Because I had put the poker in the fire. The fire had gotten in the poker. Now listen to this. That's the way it is with Christ being a partaker of grace. When you immerse your life in Him, He puts His fire in your life. And it's a reciprocal dwelling. And anything that you penetrate now has the gospel attached to it. You're a partner in giving. You're a partner in grace. And you're a partner in the gospel. And you don't have to try to make it happen. It's Christ in you. It's a dual revelation. You're a partaker, Paul says, of grace. And he said, I want to thank you, Philippians, for being a partaker, not only in giving, not only in the gospel, but in God's grace. Can you think of anything better than God's grace today? I can't. I can't. And I want to just tell you, we're fixing to leave here. We're going to sing a song. We're going to leave in just a moment. If you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, what are you waiting on? He loves you. Oh, man, He loves you. Listen, He loved me. You know, my sanctification process, you know, I'm real careful. I try to be careful to judge people because before God got His hand in my life, I, I know what I was, and you wouldn't have been too happy with it. But when God's still working on me, He's not finished with me yet. So the idea is if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, it's not about joining a church. It's not about, so I want to join this religious institution. I want to join, I want to join this social uh, institution or, or status or whatever this is. No, no, the way that you have a relationship with Jesus is you simply today, in your heart, bow before Him and say something like this, Lord Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. I know that you love me. I know that you've already done everything that needs to be done in order for me to come into a right relationship with God. And by faith, you can do it now, by faith, you bow before Him, you receive forgiveness in your life, and you receive a Savior who will never leave you nor forsake you. And you can be a partaker of grace just like many of us in this room. That's all you have to do. You don't join a church. You don't have to join the church to do that. This is not a social club. This is the church of Jesus Christ. And he bought and paid for this church. And religion is man's attempt to try to get to God. You may be here thinking, I'll just do good things. I'll help older people get across the street. I'll give money today. Listen, that God doesn't want that. He wants you. That's what he wants. When you get him, you get the whole thing. You get all of it. You get the total thing, a relationship with Him. Christianity is God coming down to man, and God's already done that. So I want to encourage you today, before you leave here today, to ask Jesus to come into your heart. Would you pray with me this morning? I pray that we could have thankful hearts. Paul talked to us about the generosity of gratitude in our lives. And I don't know where you are this morning. I don't need to know where you are this morning. And you don't need to know where I am because God knows where all of us are. He knows our thoughts. He knows our sins. He knows our shortcomings. And He still loves us anyway.
God loves you this morning. So if you're here this morning and you've never invited Christ to come into your heart, would you just receive that free gift now? Would you be a partaker of the grace that I've talked about this morning from God's Word? Would you just invite Jesus to come into your heart? Say this prayer. Say, God, I know I'm a sinner. I I realize this morning that I'm empty. I realize this morning that I'm not sure whether I'm saved or not. I'm just not sure. But you can be today if you'll just invite Jesus to come into your heart. Say, Jesus, I ask you to come in. I repent of my sins. I turn from my ways. And I receive you into my life. You can only receive a gift. You can't work for it. It's free. It's all been paid for. Some of you here this morning may be beating yourself up for decisions you made 20, 30 years ago. God could never forgive me for this. Or I'm living in the pain of the decision I made. Let me assure you this morning that God, when when Jesus died on the cross, He died for all of your sin, past, present, and future. He loves you that much. You just bow before Him and trust Him today. And you say in your heart, Lord, wherever you lead, I will go. Wherever you lead, I'll go. God may be calling some of you to salvation. He may be calling some of you to service in some particular area. He may be calling some of you to be a part of the body of Christ here at Sagemont. And whatever decision you need to make, you make it with Him because He loves you. And He'll even give you the power in your life to do what you have never been able to do on your own. That's called grace. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for loving us like you do. Thank you for this passage of Scripture. May it continue to burn in our hearts and lives. In Jesus' name, amen.